Hello, everyone, and welcome to the season three premiere for Eighth Position Podcast. I'm Darian Baldwin, and as always, I am here with Lawson Gardner. Man, I'm so excited to be back. We've been gone for so long. It is good to be back. It's good. It's good to be back. We've got um, we really got a hell of a roster lined up we for do. this season. There's um, a lot of good musicians on the way. I'm very excited. Uh, this is the most excited I've been to start a season. Um, we have more jazz musicians, which is cool. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and also, I have not thought about classical since I graduated high school. So um, it'll be good to start talking about like <laughs> orchestral playing again and get that back in my mind. Orchestral playing. Um, yeah, just a little, just a little. Just I still little keep bit. up with jazz. I do my homework. Thank you yeah. very much. I do but, not. Uh... <laughs> Yesterday was the first time I played my big horn in about two months. <laughs> Oh, wow. Full disclosure. <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow. Well, let's get you back into the game now. Let's get you into the game. This season, everyone, we are doing kind of like a season of three, pretty much, is the way I want to say it. So we're interviewing three orchestral musicians of, like, various different spots in their career or in, you know, the U.S., maybe outside the U.S. Maybe we're expanding Don't give away too bit. much. Don't give away Never too know. much, Darian. Okay, Careful. okay, okay. So three orchestral musicians, three jazz musicians, three teachers slash professors, you know, at college universities and stuff. They usually have some, a smart thing or two to say. And then we're also doing kind of like three, I'm going to say miscellaneous kind of spots because they kind of go into like commercial, maybe some equipment kind of stuff. Like there's, I don't know. It's it's different. So they're kind of their own little sub subsection Sorry, there. Yeah. But season of three times four equals 12 episodes this season. So we're both really, really excited. And it'd also probably be good to kind of give us, give you guys a little life update. Well, our lives update, because last year we recorded everything in one year. This year we're only doing probably one season, so and I'm okay with that because that means we'll have more quality over quantity, which is always mm-hmm. good. Uh, but we both just finished high school, graduated from, uh, what, what was that school called, Lawson? I believe it was called the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. Yep. I'm it's wearing a an alumni t-shirt right now. Oh, I'm not. I'm, de- I'm not right now. <laughs> no, I love that school. I had a great time there. I think Lawson also had a great time. I did have a great time. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. And yeah, we're we're done with high school and now we're on to the next adventure. Uh, Lawson, would you like to start? Where, where are you going off to? Yeah, sure. So by the time this, this episode uh, releases, um, I am a student at the new school. Um, so I'm studying classical. Oh my goodness, that's not true. I'm studying <laughs> Freudian slip, I guess. Um, I'm studying jazz and contemporary music at the new school in Manhattan. Um, so I'm going to try to start integrating myself into the freelance scene there and uh, see how it goes. I'll be studying with Ed Neumeister for a semester, most likely. Um, and then after that, I'll get to pick my teacher. And then I'm off to Columbus Day by the time this is released. I will probably be there, probably playing in uh, the trombone choir there they're okay they're all right i'm just kidding it's a really great (laughs) it's a really great trombone choir so i'm very excited for that aspect of it already dr palmer is a fantastic teacher former guest on this podcast former guest yes please go back season two go check out his episode it's really great he says so many really inspiring and just really helpful things that you would expect 
a teacher to say, I guess. So good. Please go back. That that one's really great. But I'm excited to go there. It'll be a good time. I'm of course going for orchestral music, but I wanna I wanna be able to play everything. So I'm gonna stay open and stay trying to do all of the things that I don't know might get me a little bit of extra money and might have me having some good fun. But uh, Lawson, uh, something I kind of wanted to start this season is to kind of ask each other a question before we go into the interview with people. Hopefully you guys are all okay with that. I know this one is a little bit longer, but that tends to happen on the season premieres. We tend to ramble. So we do hopefully bit, you guys yeah. are okay with that. <laughs> but uh, I want to start asking a question at the beginning of every episode, just like you and me, we just talk a little bit and then we go on to the episode. So what kind of got you started in music, man? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've got pretty much the same story as 90% of our guests that we've had on this podcast. Um, <laughs> I joined band uh, the first year that I could in sixth grade and okay. um, went to the little, uh, I can't remember, who was it that called it the instrument petting zoo? I really liked that. <sighs> Was that was that Andrew Shelton? That I said think that? it might have been. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember. Say it was. I can't remember who it was, but somebody called it the Instrument Petting Zoom. But I went there, <laughs> tried everything out. Trombone felt right. Thought it looked cool. Sounded cool. So um, I did it. And um, my sixth grade year at school, my uh, my band teacher needed an extra trombone in the jazz ensemble, and uh, he just he pulled me in. We were just playing like you know. Uh, Michael Sweeney charts and and whatnot and uh, it wasn't really until eighth grade um, all state jazz and you were there for that um, I was there and I was lead in that band and I was, bass I was you were bass boned yeah and I was one of the worst jazz musicians in the room um, okay. if not the worst <laughs> jazz musician in the room um, looking around I mean I saw I mean you you know Mason and Patrick and and Luke now Luke Ramey watch out for him by the way he'll be on this podcast one day yeah, I was sure. about to say that <laughs> um but yeah I mean just a lot of really really killing musicians um and I was like man they're playing language they're uh there's a lot of maturity to, to how they're playing and um I'm still playing F blue scale you know so um I really dug into to jazz music that summer started listening a lot um i really checked out a lot of count basie um and and bird those were, those were my i mean i know those are sort of the the basic basic picks to get started but um i was getting started so and they are essential and i still love them both um but that's that's how i got started and just started listening a lot and it wasn't until uh really around the time that i was applying to colleges that i was 100 percent sure that i wanted to do like really dive fully into jazz um because i went into because i only went to uncsa for my senior year darian was there for two years but i only i only went for one year and um i i came in i was like i'm gonna just kind of see where it goes you know i i'll, I'll probably do some some classical stuff some jazz stuff i want to keep up with both and mm -hmm. that sort of thing and then i got there and we started playing excerpts and um playing an orchestra and all that sort of thing Scared and i was him. like this is not my thing at all i'm sorry <laughs> he sounded I can't, good though i can't do this i appreciate that i did my best <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad i went and i i kind of honed that side of my of my playing but um yeah, no, I, I mean, and then I started, you know, really diving into 
to my current heroes. Like um, I was transcribing a ton of Steve Davis. Um, I'm just now starting to start shedding some Vince Gardner stuff um, and like really exploring the the modern trombone greats. Um, of course, Robert Edwards is one of my favorites right now, and he's been a, a great mentor for me um, in the last year or two three however i don't i don't even remember when we first when we first met but um yeah that's where we're at (laughs) all right checking out a lot of good music i'm I'm excited to to be in new york and uh how about you darian when when did you get started i know you have a funny story for that i got i got i got two so (laughs) um so i i won't i won't go too far i'll just like say where I was in like sixth or seventh grade and then I'll leave it there and then we'll we could come back in the future to learn about the other stuff because I Lawson stayed in North Carolina I want to say most of his life I I was born in Asheville and I am sitting in Asheville right now okay Uh, yeah I I was not in Asheville all my life so (laughs) I I was moving all over the place all the time and eventually I ended up in North Carolina and I was what was I? What city? Okay, I was in Cedar Point, but I went to a school in like, I don't know, it's called Bogue Sound or something. Anyways, it's Newport, North Carolina for everybody that knows that area. And I, I was in elementary school and I had a, had a great friend. Uh, his name was Calvin. And this is, this is how I like picked trombone. Uh, the band came in, the middle school band, they played their stuff. And then we heard the trombones play. So the band director is a trombonist. And he had his top trombone student play a duet. It was Carry On My Wayward Son, I want to say. And it was just like a rocky duet that they played together. And it sounded good. And I was like, that was really cool. So later on, we were walking in like PE class or something. And then Calvin was just like, I want to play trombone. And then I was like, yeah, me too. And this is, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I don't, I don't think we were aware back then, but he, he literally was like, yeah, let's be tromboners. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's be tromboners, man. <laughs> and I was like, oh, now I'm, now I'm looking back and I'm like, oh, why did we say that? But yeah, I, we, we called ourselves that. And that was like our primary reason of picking the instrument. So basically it was because of the duet that I picked trombone, but it was mostly because of the other thing. Uh, but eventually I was in like sixth grade and I did the whole band thing, you know, and it wasn't going that well for me in all honesty. I think it was like in the winter, maybe before like winter break or something, we were playing a piece and it wasn't going well. And then our band director, his name is Mr. Self, Michael Self. He's a great band director. He's doing a lot of great stuff right now. Uh, look him up if you're interested in band directors. Uh, and he he was working with the trumpets. And this is the story I always tell because I love telling the story. It's hilarious. And he was working with the trumpets on something. And I was bored out of my mind. We've all been there where we're just like hearing the band director rehearse and we're zoning out and not paying attention. And then all of a sudden he asked the group a question and I wasn't paying any attention at all. So uh, the group was getting a little talkative. And he goes, are we supposed to be talking right now? And of course, I said, yes. And when I said yes, he was, he was like, who said yes? And then I felt really bad because I realized what I said. 
And then I raised my hand like really shamefully. And then he was like, go to ISS. Well, it was called the bullpen. We called it the bullpen. He was like, go to the bullpen. But it, it's actually just like in school suspension. And then I was like, okay. And then I walked out shamefully, but I didn't know where it was. So I had to come back. <laughs> <laughs> I had already made him mad. And I came back, looked in there, and then he was like, you don't know where it is? And I was like, no. And I'm like crying too, because I'm like, oh no, I'm going to be in so much trouble. And then like, I thought I was going to go on my permanent record or whatever <laughs> that made up thing is. And I had like a friend in my class had to take me there. So it was, it was a little, little sad, but basically I got so upset about that, that I was in my head. I just went, you know, if I practice and be really good, he won't kick me out of the class again. So I went home like every day, taking my trombone home and just practiced a bunch so eventually I never got kicked out of band class again, even though I probably should have a few times, honestly. I, I don't know. It, it just worked out. So that was that was my primary motivation back then. It's definitely changed now. I want to like play in an orchestra or something. I think that'd be fun. Okay. But yeah, that's that's kind of what got me into music. And then after I started practicing, suddenly, you know, once you start practicing, you start enjoying the thing. And I started really enjoying it and, uh, you know, a few more years and here we are. So there we go. Yeah, that's that's my story. Anyways, let's talk about the guy we're interviewing today. Let's talk about yes. his story. But I would love him. to. Yes. Lawson, uh, take it away. Well, yeah, I mean, I can talk a little bit. I mean, this is um, one of my, my biggest personal heroes right now. Um, really, really big influence on my playing. Yeah, I mean, where to start? Played with the Woody Herman band, was the chief arranger for two albums, we found out, and uh, was the was a section trombonist for them. Has his own New York big band, New York Sextet as well, uh, 2020 album release called Into the Shadows with his sextet, um, which I was just listening to in the car earlier. Um, so cool. So cool. <laughs> the harmonies in that. Oh my gosh. Anyway, um, let's see. I'm doing all this off the top of my head. Usually we have a, a script. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> was the lead trombonist in the Carnegie Hall jazz band under John Faddis. Um, was a good personal friend and uh, co-leader of a record with Carl Fontana, which is insane. Um, yeah, all around incredible player. Lead trombone for uh, the group Bonegasm. Uh, who we interviewed their uh, band leader last season, Jennifer Wharton, who also happens to be um, the wife of this uh, this character that we inf uh, that we interviewed <laughs> today. Um, I mean, I could keep going. Do you want me to, Darian, or you want take it home, man? Take it okay. home. Uh, without further ado, John Fetchuk. Here today with John Fedchok for the season premiere of uh, Eighth Position Season Three. Uh, how are you doing? Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Thanks. Glad to hear it. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, I mean, I'd like to hear about um, about your early life. We usually start with that. Um, I understand you grew up in a uh, suburb of Cleveland, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, east side of of Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. And how did you get started with music? Uh, 
you know, like most kids in elementary school, we had an elementary school music program, you know, okay. uh, which introduced uh, band at fourth grade. So I started playing when I was age nine. Um, That's early. Yeah, especially for trombone. But I was always a tall kid, so uh, I was able to reach the positions. And so I think maybe I was recruited. But I, I just thought it looked cool. It was a cool, a cool, strange-looking instrument. And uh, at the time, you could still hear it on in on radio and on television. So it wasn't that odd. It wasn't that odd of a choice. Um, and then just you know played in school band and all that. My parents weren't any you know, musicians of any kind. Um, my sister, two years older than me, played flute in the band, and my brother, two years younger than me, played drums in the band, but uh, nobody went on into music or anything. Uh, they were both good players, but uh, I just kind of got bit by the bug when I discovered jazz. Hmm. Ah, okay. Did you have a jazz band during your time in school? Like, Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, middle school, it was more like what they used to call a dance band. It wasn't really, there wasn't really much improvisation. It was playing, you know, kind of old dance tunes from the 40s and 50s. Okay. Uh, and and uh, so then I got interested in it. Uh, I had an uncle that gave me a couple albums, Tommy Dorsey albums. Hmm. Um, and that kind of got me interested in listening to big band music and uh, actually transcribed tried to transcribe one of the charts when I was in eighth or ninth grade. And, um, but I just thought it was all, you know, stuff from the past. It really wasn't until I was junior or senior in high school that I realized that, uh, that, uh, jazz was still something that was around and, um, being performed regularly, <clears throat> especially like the big bands that were traveling at the time. So that was, I, I got involved with jazz, <clears throat> starting with the big bands. And um, mainly with Woody Herman, actually. Woody Herman's band and Maynard Ferguson's band were the two bands that were touring a lot at the time, along with Kenton and Basie and, you know, you name it, Buddy Rich. Mm -hmm. uh, but those were the first two bands I saw live and in person. And Woody Herman's band really struck me because... Uh, because there were so many trombone solos and they were doing music that was, they were doing older music, but they were also doing really modern stuff too. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and the band was full of guys in their twenties. So it was, they weren't too far removed from my age when I was in high school. So it was really, uh, kind of enlightening to see that this was something that was still kind of, uh, alive and well, and maybe something I could be, uh, involved with on my own. So that's when I got excited about learning about improvisation and, and uh, exploring writing a little bit, things like that. That was when I was 16 or 17 years old. Mm. Okay. And did you have like any teachers or anything that kind of like <clears throat> helped you along this way? Or was it kind of just a lot of self-learning and self-teaching for jazz? Uh, at the time, uh, I was just kind of doing it on my own, just, oh, wow. from, just from listening. But uh, my senior year in high school, I took a class at a local community college from uh, – a teacher, an improv teacher named Phil Rizzo. Now, along along the way, I had trombone teachers all the all the way through, but uh, okay. no 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 jazz instruction. Mm -hmm. um, my main trombone teacher from age nine until almost to the end of high school was, uh, uh, aside from about a year and a half in uh, seventh eighth grade, um, I had the same teacher. His name was Billy Lang, and he uh, he was an area professional in Cleveland area. So uh, he was doing gigs and. 
he was more like a commercial kind of player. So mm -hmm. I never really studied classical music until I got into college. Uh, we did like, we did, uh, you know, technical studies and Arben's book and things like mm -hmm. that. And then we would play duets, you know, pop tunes and all that. So no, no real classical music until I got into college. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, I was a little behind the curve at that point. I, uh, but but to be honest, when I was in high school, uh, I wanted to perform, but I, because of that, uh, I got into a couple uh, like all all county whatever bands and realized mm -hmm. that I was kind of behind in the classical part of things. So um, when I went on to college, I, I majored in music education, thinking uh, I would be a, a band director of some kind. Um, and it wasn't until I got into college that I really started to improve enough to realize I could possibly be a professional. Hmm. Okay. And you did your undergrad at Ohio State, is that right? Yes, I, I was there uh, for four years. And uh, during the time I was there, they started a jazz program. So I added oh. all those courses too. So I actually got uh, two degrees, uh, undergrad in uh, music education and in jazz studies. Oh, that's wow. great. Um, so, uh, because there were so many other classes I had to take, I would just take all my, you know, like the math and history and science classes in the summer. Mm -hmm. um, I'd, I'd go home to Cleveland and take, you know, two or three classes every summer at uh, Cleveland State. Mm -hmm. So, and then transfer the credits down. And uh, so I, most of the time when I was at Ohio State, I was pretty much just studying in music classes with an occasional outside, you know, element. That's a really good idea. I might steal that for the Yeah, I, the, 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 uh, the downside is you're, you're going to basically going to school constantly for four to five years. So mm -hmm. because when I graduated from Ohio State, after that final summer, I went right to grad school. So it was five years in a row of school. Oh, wow. Which, yeah, that's... That is a lot. Yeah, it's a lot, but but it was stuff I enjoyed doing, so it was worth it. This is a little off topic, but do you keep up with Ohio State football? Of course, yeah. Of course, all right. Yeah, I, yeah. I was just wondering. That's all. Yeah, not too many people that went to Ohio State don't. Okay, that's it's just fair. too big. It's just too big a thing there. It's a good team. It's a good team. Yeah. They're okay. Yeah, they're fine. <laughs> I'm a big Alabama fan for football. Okay. So well, every time those two go together, I'm just like, oh no. Something's yeah. going to happen. <laughs> sure, sure. So you did your master's at um, Eastman School of Music, right? right? Yeah. And um, is it true that, that Woody Herman like picked you up in the middle of your degree to start touring? Yeah, after my first year. Okay. Um, during that first year, I mean, part of the reason I wanted to go there was because he was getting a lot of his players from there. So I figured there was something oh, okay. there worth learning. Uh, yeah. And when I got there, I, uh, I met a lot of people that knew people that were already on, on the band. And so when they passed through, I gave them a recording of my playing. And then about three months later, somebody left the band and then called me. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, um, it's my understanding that you were like one of the chief arrangers for a few of his records, right? Yeah, the last two he did. I, uh, the first couple of two or three years I was involved with the band, I was not writing. I was just concentrating on playing and there was someone else writing charts. Gotcha. Um, but we did a location gig in New Orleans for about six months, and I uh, realized if I was going to try to write anything for the band, I, I should do it then where I could 
you know, if something's not right, I could take it back to my apartment and fix it. Mm-hmm. So um, I worked on a thing there and it, it went well. And then about six months later, the person who was writing for the band left. Uh, and there was no one else in the band that was a writer. So Woody started coming to me with assignments and requests and things. That's awesome. Yeah. And did you did you have to like learn how to write like right then, or did you kind of practice like arranging? Well, I mean, when I was at Eastman, I studied with Ray Wright, who was one of the great arranging teachers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but but uh, those were my first charts, really. So. Oh wow. Um, when I, you know, I'd, I'd written just little bits and pieces for his classes, but when I went on the road, those first charts for Woody were my first complete arrangements. Gotcha. All right. I mean, we'd like to hear a little bit about. Um, your experience like touring with that band i mean do you think that it really like contributed to to like your visibility as an artist or oh sure no question yeah because all the bands were touring we were out 46 weeks a year Wow. so no we didn't even have apartments or anything or cars or you know everybody just we basically were living on the road uh you know we'd have a little three-week break here or there and i'd you know hang with my folks for a few days uh but uh, other than that uh, we were just out there. So uh, anybody that was following that music, if you stayed on the band long enough, people would recognize you and, and know your name. Um, and especially as you pass through the larger cities where there's professionals there that have played on the same band, they're always going to check check out the band and see who the new faces are. So when mm-hmm. I came to New York uh, in 1987, uh, I already had been on the road for seven years and met a lot of people that had gone through the band and moved to New York, plus all the older folks that had passed through before me uh, that were in New York. So I had a network of people that kind of helped guide me Mm -hmm. uh, those first few years in the city. Hmm. What kind of, uh, I guess, led you to really want to settle in in New York City? I have a feeling of why, but I was just curious of why. Well, I, I really didn't know what I was going to do when I when I got off the road until, uh, you know, about halfway through my stay there, I, I just noticed there was a clear divide as to the type of player that moved to New York and the type of player that moved to Los Angeles and the type of player that moved to elsewhere in the United States. And I kind of, my my heroes were always the ones that moved to New York and, and did, you know, did that work that, uh, you know, the high profile work and uh, were able to, uh, be creative musicians. A lot of, a lot of other places you, you can't base your life on being creative because uh, there aren't as many opportunities to do that as there are in New York. Sure. So, uh, that was the main reason. Okay. And I'm, I'm curious, I mean, I, we can maybe talk about this a little bit more later, but, um, I mean, anyone that's heard your playing can, can tell that you're a big fan of, of Carl Fontana. I know that you guys had a, a One of my heroes, decent friendship. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, Carl was a West coast player. So, I mean, what, it's interesting that, I mean, you've, you've picked up so much from, from that tradition, but you're one of like the lead New York cats right now. So, I mean, well, uh, Carl lived on the West coast, but he was from Louisiana. Ah, okay. And he toured with Woody Herman and, and played with Stan Kenton and mm-hmm. did all those types of things. He just, he just ended up, locating himself in las vegas uh but his his playing uh it just you know i was listening to a lot of folks when i was first getting interested herbie green was my first big influence um loved his playing 
and then uh, discovered people like JJ and Curtis Fuller and and Benny Green. And yeah. at the time, I, toward the end of my time in high school, Bill Watchers came out with his first album, wow. which was pretty incredible. And when I went to school, I was talking to people about Bill Watchers, and someone said, "Well, if if you like Bill, you should uh, you should check out Carl Fontana because that's big. That's Carl's big, or Bill's biggest influence." So I went okay. to I, I went to go hear Carl. Uh, went to go look for some of his recordings, and he had none. Mm. He had none under his own name, so he had to search for them yeah. uh, with different groups. And the first one I found was a group by a group called Super Sex, oh, which yeah. was a group they transcribed with Charlie Parker's solos and played them as a section. And uh, each album had a little bit of a different theme, and the, there was one that featured Carl on several cuts. So uh, that was my first, the first time I heard him play, and just knocked me out. Not not only just the just the, the lines he played, but just the the relaxed style he played, uh, his eighth notes and his legato, and he could be um, he could have energy and intensity without having to play loud, and uh, just had a really uh, easy way of negotiating chord changes that made sense and were still melodic. So those those all those things kind of grabbed me early on. And uh, so I started getting way into him and listening to the way he played and trying to emulate some of the things he did. And then when I joined Woody Herman's band, uh, there was a trumpet player who's, who was from Los Angeles who knew Rossellino personally, Frank Rossellino. Oh, yeah. And he had uh, a lot of bootleg recordings of Frank playing in clubs and things like that. So uh, that was another influence. Of, you know, I got way into Frank Rossellino at the time. So, and then, of course... Some of these bootleg recordings came out 30 years later of both of them playing together. And, th and those were a real learning experience because uh, they both had different things to offer, but they were very compatible with one another. So uh, that led me to believe I could kind of coalesce both of those into my own style. That's great. Yeah. And then were those your two main heroes or did you have like other really Well, I was listening I was listening to JJ Johnson, I was listening to Curtis, okay. I was listening to Slide Hampton. Uh although Slide didn't have many albums out at the time that you could get in the states. Most of them were European releases. Okay. Um, and of course Bill Watrous was out there and he was like a guest soloist at Ohio State when I was there. So uh he was pretty impressive his technique and his sound and everything. And Irby was still you know, as far as just being a just all around player with great technique, beautiful sound. Yeah, he could okay. play jazz. He could play great ballads. Uh, really good lead player. All those types of things. He's always been a big influence as well. Yeah. All right. When did you uh, <laughs> When did you meet Carl? I first met him. I think it was maybe 1984. Uh, maybe 85 when I was on the road with Woody Herman's band, we were passing oh, through okay. Chicago and he was playing a small group date in, in town and he came to meet, to meet Woody. And, uh, that's when I got to meet him hmm. first time. Uh, we just exchanged a few words and then it was later on in 87, 86 that, um, Woody did a big 50th anniversary concert at the Hollywood bowl. Uh, which followed an album we recorded called 50th Anniversary Tour, but, it, but that wasn't the concert. The con 50th Anniversary Tour was recorded in San Francisco. But this was at the Hollywood Bowl, and uh, the stage had our our band, 
and then on the other side of the stage was an alumni band of all folks that oh, had played yeah. with Woody. And um, they had a big party afterwards at Woody's house, and, and myself and Paul McKee, who was another fantastic player, uh, we um, we sat and talked to Carl for hours that night. And um, so then it wasn't until maybe 93 was the next time I saw him. Hmm. Um, I saw him in New York. He was passing through playing with uh, Frank Sinatra Jr. And a bunch of us New York trombone players met up with that trombone section, had dinner. And I was talking to Carl. I was, I was lucky enough to sit next to him. And I was talking to him and I, and I mentioned something that that year the ITF was going to be in Las Vegas. And I asked him if he's going to be playing. And he said, yes. And I said, well, I was thinking about going. He goes, why don't you come? You can just stay at my house. I don't have to pay, you know, for a hotel. I said, sure. So I came out and I hung at his place for a week. And we, we became wow. really good friends and, and, you know, going out and hitting the casinos and, you know, doing all the Las Vegas kind of stuff. But we developed a really good friendship. And so there were a couple other times I went out to just to hang out with him and listen to his gigs and, uh, He'd always invite me to sit in. Uh, matter of fact, when the ITF was in in Las Vegas, uh, he did a set with Bill and uh, Jigs Wiggum. Oh wow! And he invited me to come up to play. I was still, you know, fairly young at the time, and uh, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was that way. So when he started recording those little dates for that label, uh, Woofy Productions. Um, all, with all those live things in Las Vegas, um, he asked the producer of the, the label if I could be involved in one of those. So I, I got to do one of those. And um, I think it was the very last one they, they put out that, um, it was the very first one they put out that wasn't actually pressed onto a CD. And I'm not sure if it might, it might be the very last one Carl did, but he may have done one after that. Hmm. Um, but the following year, he was starting to, his health issues were starting to take over. So it, it may be one of the last ones he did for that label, I'm, but I'm not sure. Yeah. That's one of my favorite records right now. That's from, from 2000, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was the same It was the same year, just a couple of weeks after I recorded an album of mine uh, with a small group. And um, they were both done in February, I believe. And... Um, the prior December, I did a trip and my horn was stolen. Oh, so no. all these things were on the on the slate to be recorded, and I had no horn or mouthpiece. So I had no. to, I had a bunch of uh, you know, uh, re, you know, I was playing at that time. I was playing a King Two B Plus, mm. which the company had discontinued uh, in nineteen eighty nine. So I. Um, but anytime I saw one, I would buy one just for parts, basically. So I, I got all of those out and I was mixing and matching bells and tuning slides and slides and then having to go through mouthpieces and all that. It was, it was uh, a rough, rough patch there. But January, before I recorded with Carl, um, actually, it might be around that time. Um, actually, I did the album and I did the album with Carl. And then I was touring with the Carnegie Hall Jazz Band, and Carl knew about oh, me yeah. searching for mouthpieces. Uh, so when I did the album with Carl, he actually loaned me a couple of his. And then when I passed through Las Vegas with the Carnegie Hall Band, he showed up with a bag, like a valise, full of 11C mouthpieces for me to try. 
so I, I still I, I I was nice enough to return all but two. Um, all but two. <laughs> all but two. Uh, and one of the ones that I took was the one that he told me he had recorded all his solos on for 30, 40 years. Wow. Fair enough. And the other one was, and the other one was a copy of that mouthpiece. Hmm. So I took those two, and then uh, when, when I saw him the next time in Las Vegas, he said, "Would you mind bringing that mouthpiece back, the the, the original?" So I brought that back. So I still have the copy. When I went to the ITF, uh, it wasn't the ITF. It was something else. He wanted me to return that mouthpiece. Uh, maybe when he gave me all the other ones, I can't remember how that worked. But but there was a time where. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he, he was off of that mouthpiece for a while, and then he jumped back into uh, playing that mouthpiece again. I'm not sure if he ended up playing it for a long period of time or not, but uh, yeah, it was it was it's kind of cool just to have the one that he had made as a copy. It was uh, made by he told me it was made by someone in Texas, and um, in his bedroom, on his dresser, it was just covered with mouthpieces. So he had these little pieces of masking tape on all the all the mouthpieces. And this particular awesome. mouthpiece had a little piece of masking tape on it that said Tex. It's, I left it on there. It's still on there. Mm. Um, just so he could remember, you know, that, oh, that's the copy that was made in Texas. That's so awesome. <laughs> so, I mean, something that's been on my mind a lot lately is this phrase, um, imitate, assimilate innovate i think that's the order it is that, that it's in right uh, have you heard that before <laughs> i've i've heard it from several people yeah yeah so i mean there, um, there's a missing word though uh-oh oh yeah it should yeah it should be imitate this for me should be imitate emulate mm. assimilate because you don't want to be an imitation I, I think there's a lot of people that are skipping that word these days um, Interesting. You find a lot of people that sound the same uh, because they don't take the things they're imitating and make it their own. Yeah, and that, that's what I was going to ask about. Is I mean, because I, I can tell. I mean, like I mentioned that. I mean, how heavily your playing has been influenced by Carl, but I mean, you still have a, a really clearly defined like personal voice. I mean, so I was. I just wanted to hear kind of your take on on how to effectively first assimilate or i mean uh sorry first imitate the the aspects of your heroes playing that you like and getting that into your own playing but how to take that next step of molding those skills you've acquired into your own yeah i, I think i think the big part of it is not taking the uh, the whole transcription thing too far i think the big similarities i have with those players anybody that 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 i've uh, tried to emulate is that i've come closer to their style of articulation and phrasing, not necessarily specific content. Um, that in itself will affect your, uh, your jazz accent, for lack of a better term. Mm. Um, so I could pretty much play anything as long as it's in the similar uh, phrasing and articulation, and you're going to hear those influences. So uh, I think it's the um, um, a misstep by some people that think they have to imitate all of it uh, because then you end up internalizing someone else's way of speaking. Whereas for me, I, I did some transcription, but in general, it was, I, I did write some things down, but in general, it was more like mental 
transcription, getting an idea for their the way they phrase, the, the way they shape their melodies and things like that, rather than specific notes and specific licks. And uh, if there was something that I heard someone play, I would try to get an idea of what it was and not write it down and try and figure out what the sound was rather than the specific notes. That way uh, you're still getting the little hints of their harmonic alterations or whatever, but but it's not exact replica. Um, and I think that's that's the reason the music evolved all those years, because people didn't have readily available recordings that they could sit down and write down and, and learn verbatim. They just had to, to create their own version of what they thought their heroes were doing. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's that's I think that's the biggest key in all of that. Um, really, uh, a lot of people kind of gloss by the fact that a big part of someone's voice is the way they articulate and the way they phrase and the way they shape lines and uh, the kind of energy they exude from point A to point B and the intensity levels of their playing, regardless of their volume. A lot of those things, if you can take a little more note of those things, you can learn a lot that can help inform your own lines to have that same kind of effect. All right, that was really good. <laughs> Lawson, are you writing this down? <laughs> I'm going to listen to right. you. <laughs> Got some good quotes in there. Well, oh, if you want to, we can leave, I guess, trombone a little bit. We, we love doing this because we're just curious. It's just a good sure. break, too. But uh, what kind of hobbies and stuff do you enjoy outside of music? Um, for a long time, none. Really, I mean, no. I like watching. I like watching football, but, but well, to be fun. honest, to be honest, uh, I look at music as being a hobby. Um, you know, so it was always something I always really wanted to do. So if I if I got tired of playing, I would I would start to write something, hmm. um, and uh, you know, then you know, leading bands and all those types of things. It it all requires different thought process, different skill levels, and all that. Um, I do follow sports, uh, not as much as I used to, but still pretty strongly with football. Um, College or NFL? I follow both, actually. Okay, um, okay. Pretty, pretty heavily. And, um, you know, for the past, uh, as you know, I'm married to Jennifer Wharton, and uh, we got married uh, 12 years ago. And uh, it's kind of nice to have just... Um, you know, I was so, so uh, focused in on the music and I loved it. And uh, it's just kind of nice to take a breath every once in a while and enjoy life with another person. I've mm -hmm. enjoyed that. We've got two dogs that we really love. Um, <laughs> she posts them all the time on Instagram. Yeah, of course. Of course <laughs> I does. love it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just I kind of go back and forth from, you know, I, you know, I don't even really look at it as being intense. I, 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 you know, when I'm practicing, you know, depending on whether I'm really focused in on something or if I'm just playing in front of the television or something, it, 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 I find it calming. I find, I, I, I find it relaxing. I don't feel like it's stressful at all. I know uh, there are some that are very stressful practicers because they're always uh, concerned about getting ready for the next thing. In general, I'm, I, I try to stay ready all the time. So I just have a routine that I do and it, uh, it kind of keeps me ready. If I need to put a little more focus on something before a big gig, I can do that. Um, but yeah, I, I just, uh, 
my interests are few other than music and just hanging out and, uh, you know, watching a game occasionally and having a beer with somebody, you know, pretty relaxed. All right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I like that. So, I mean, I'd like to hear more about the, the Carnegie Hall big band. That was with, um, with John Faddis, right? Yes. Yeah. How did, how did that come about? Uh, well, the band it was kind of uh, supposed to be an answer to the Lincoln Center group where mm. it was top players, but not necessarily young lions uh, that were playing music inspired by the classics, but not once again, but not verbatim, not uh, not creating the band as a museum piece, but as a living, breathing organism that might even, uh, God forbid, update some of those old war horses so that and that was that was the idea was doing new arrangements of old tunes and uh, you know I, I was not one of the original members of the group i think the group started in 94 i think the first time i subbed was 96 um and i subbed for dennis wilson who was the lead trombone player uh but after that i started subbing on the third trombone for for slide hampton and then the second trombone for steve Teray. so after a couple of years, I had played all three chairs on diff various tours. Um, and then when Dennis took a teaching gig at University of Michigan, uh, John offered me the, the regular full-time um, mm. lead trombone chair. And it, that was a unique experience because um, sitting in a, a, a trombone section with Slide Hampton playing third trombone, as you know, he's left-handed. He, he played left-handed. He wasn't left-handed. He played left-handed. So his bell was on his right shoulder. And mm -hmm. Steve Teray's bell was on his left shoulder. So the closest proximity, you know, I was right in between these two bells. So <laughs> if you think about, you know, getting, trying to get the ultimate blend, we were able to do that because, because of that strange dynamic would, would slide with the bell on the other mm -hmm. side of his head. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was a it was a great experience for sure. Maybe orchestras like need to start doing that, like switching it over yeah. so the bass trombone's pointed that way. That might work. Yeah. You never yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. So I mean, how about your um, your New York big band? When when did that start? And uh, we had our first rehearsal in 1989, and <clears throat> our first recording session uh, September of 1992. So. Um, this September 18th, uh, we're doing a gig at Birdland to uh, celebrate. It'll be exactly 30 years since that first recording session. Oh, man. I'll, I'll be Did there. you write that down, Lawson? <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll be in New York by then, so All I'll, right. I'll definitely try cool. to catch that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so uh, we did gigs here and there, and um, the first album came out, did really well, got four and a half stars in Downbeat, and... Uh, and got the band recognized and myself recognized in some, you know, downbeat polls and things, you know, the usual stuff. Um, and the first two albums uh, really kind of set the band, you know, off where we were doing things. We were doing some traveling and we were uh, going, we went overseas and uh, went up to Canada, played jazz festivals, we're playing in New York, things like that. So uh, we've got. I was lucky enough that the first album I recorded it myself, paid for it myself, which was not cheap back then um, for a 35-year-old. But um, I was able to to get a label to pick it up, and from then until through 2007, they paid for everything. 
So they pay for the recording sessions, they pay for the production, they pay for the artwork, they pay for the distribution. So uh, I'm not really sure how my career would have would have gone had I not had that because especially with a big band, it's a very expensive venture unless you want to pay the band next to nothing, which there are instances of people doing that here in New York, but I just didn't want to do it. So I wanted to pay them what they were worth. And this allowed me to do that and allowed me to keep really good players. Um, because obviously the, the older the player gets and the more successful the player gets, uh, less likely they're going to come do a gig for no money. So because yeah. they're going to they're going to have other conflicts or but I'm, I'm really lucky that here 30 years later, I've got basically the same personnel. So um, really uh, kind of excited about this gig coming up. We haven't played since before the pandemic. So hmm. oh. uh, 2019 was the last time we played. Yeah. So, so this is like a big return. Yeah, it is a big return and it's a celebration and it's, you know, just getting acquainted again. And, you know, mm -hmm. in the meantime, I've been writing new music. Uh, I'm, I still am not sure if uh, this gig will include any of it. Uh, it might just be a retrospective, uh, but we're going to have a rehearsal in August to play the new music and see if anything might fit what we're going to do in September. Hmm. All right. Yeah. So, I mean... Um you've gained a lot of prominence as a as a composer just as much as a as a trombonist um i'd like to hear kind of how you view the view the relationship between playing and writing and how you think your writing has influenced your playing and vice versa yeah i, I think it goes both ways i think my um uh, because i always want to just be a player that was first and foremost and still is if i if i have minimal time i will i will play and i'll practice i won't you know, some people write every day. I, I don't do that um, unless I have the time to do so um, <laughs> or a deadline. But <laughs> um, but then usually the playing suffers. So but I do think the stronger my jazz playing has become, the more uh, sophisticated or informed my uh, my lines are when I'm writing. Mm. And the more I uh, study, you know, or try to implement alternative harmony in my playing, uh, those things go hand in hand with the writing as well. And as far as the writing goes, when I'm looking at, um, when I'm working on something, um, and I'm trying to find a new way to make a new sound, I, I register that as something that I could access when I'm, when I'm playing too, whether it's something I'm thinking vertically or linearly. Sure. So yeah, they go hand in hand, and I think um, that is one thing. There's a, a kind of a new generation of big band writers, large ensemble writers. I'll put it that way because nobody likes to call it a big band anymore. Even though they, <laughs> what kind of group is it? It's a big band. What's the name of it? So and so jazz orchestra. All right, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't. I don't pretend to be lofty like that. Anyway. Um, but there's a, a new breed of, of writers now that are, are not necessarily improvising jazz musicians. They're people that may have played an instrument or experimented, but they've become full-time writers and they're more, coming more from the classical uh, way of composing. So it doesn't necessarily all the time draw on those types of lines that a jazz player would improvise. So, uh, and 
I'm sure when you, if you think about that, when you're listening to a specific writer, you'll, you'll, you'll catch that right away. Are these lines more informed by the classical style or by jazz? And, you know, um, you can tell right away if the person hasn't ever played bebop. <laughs> just, there's a certain element about it, angularity or whatever you want to call it. It's just not there. So, um, <clears throat> I hope I'm keeping that alive. That's, that's my goal. Um, but yeah, there's, it's, it's a whole different, uh, thing than when I moved to New York. In New York, when I first moved, uh, people were just starting to uh, experiment with this crossover with the classical elements, you know, that brought about by, by Bob Brookmeyer, who, of course, was a fantastic jazz player. So when he melded that together with his style, uh, really something special happened. But but now we have people that don't have those things that, that Bob had affirmed grasp on before he started implementing classical techniques uh so you you find a little bit of a a different uh, a change in the music all right gotcha. i i've got a question that kind of it will eventually go into another question don't worry uh so you do you do combos you do big bands composing arranging do you kind of have like i guess a preference to which one you like enjoy the most or do you have or is it just kind of like, I wake up and I want to do this today? Well, uh, I like them all. I guess the, the small group thing, you're expressing yourself more personally. Okay. And it's, and it's uh, you know, immediate, you get immediate feedback from what you're doing. Yeah. You know, and, and it kind of keeps your mind kind of fresh and uh, mossy. If, if you're doing, you know, improvising or composing on the spot. It does, it does help keep those muscles going there. As far as playing big band, I love playing in a section. I've always played in a section and loved it. Uh, matter of fact, when I got my band together, my first thought was I'm going to play in the section. So I write myself in and out so I can get up and and uh, conduct whatever needs to be conducted. But in, I, I don't want to miss out on the fun of playing in the band. Yeah. <laughs> so that tells me that the writing is last because... If, if I just love the writing more than playing in the big band, I'd be out front hearing every note. But I, I like the idea of being in the band, being around, surrounded by all these sounds and, mm-hmm. and being part of a, a collective group. So uh, I guess that's that's my my selection of the order. Yeah, And even on my own tunes, when I have solos, when I do rehearsals, a lot of times I won't even want to play the solos in the rehearsal. I just, I'm more... I, I grew up playing jazz, learning to play jazz in front of live audiences, not in a classroom. Um, I took it like the jazz class that I took in high school was we never played. It was more like a jazz theory class, but it was called jazz improvisation. And when I went to Ohio State, the, tr- the credits transferred. So I didn't have to take jazz improvisation at Ohio State. So I never played oh. jazz in a classroom until I was into grad school. Uh, so all through my, my undergrad years, I was just going to clubs and sitting in and listening to people and doing it the way they used to do it 30, 40 years before that. So, um, yeah, so, so as far as my individual writing goes, I like writing it and I like playing it, but sometimes I'm just more into the act of just playing the trombone and improvising Mm -hmm. and, and, and those types of things. Trombone's pretty fun. 
I know. Yeah, I trombone is pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and then I guess my next question is, uh, you, you do like all of these things. How do you kind of balance that in your life on a day-to-day basis? Or is it just kind of... Uh, the answer is you don't. You don't? don't. Okay. <laughs> I don't. Because it would drive you crazy if you, if you know, it's like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen these old vaudeville acts where the guy's spinning the plates. Have yeah. you ever seen that on the sticks? Mm-hmm. It would be like that. I mean, as it is, it feels a little bit like that. But to deal with that every day would be exhausting. So, for instance, today, uh, I haven't played my trombone yet today because I decided I'd, I'd, try, I'd work on a chart. And so I'm, I'm working on a, a piece of music and, uh, you know, I took a break, had some lunch. I'm talking to you guys. Maybe I play after I talk to you guys. But I, so I just try to let my day be flexible. It's a, okay. It was a... It's a, it's a little more, I have to plan it out a little bit more now that I'm married with two dogs and a house. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But when I was just living by myself in an apartment, it was just like the day was this amount of time and you filled it however you wanted, whenever you wanted. You got hungry, you ate something. If you weren't hungry, you kept going, you know. So, uh, but now I actually, there's time slots that I have to mainly to walk the dogs and things like that. You know, well, <laughs> yeah. our lives are run by our, our animals bladders, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, so, uh, like I just kind of let each day come as it, as it may, if I have a deadline or a rehearsal or something coming up, I'll know, okay, well this day I'm, I'm maybe not going to spend as much time writing if any, cause I want to play more cause I want my chops to be strong or, I need mm-hmm. to learn this new music or whatever it is. But in general, I have a routine that keeps me kind of ready to go. And then if I have something coming up, then I, I push it into the next next uh, notch. Hmm. All right. Well, we usually like to um, sort of close out interviews like this by asking, like, if you have any general parting advice for any young musicians that might be listening um, can be prevalent to any of this or, or not, whatever you've got yeah, in mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess the, the, the main advice I would have is if you're going to go into music, always remember why you chose to go into music. It wasn't to make money. It wasn't to be famous, right? Nope. No. <laughs> no. It, it wasn't to shock people with your technique. It, it was about making music and expressing yourself and all those things. And I usually uh, tell people that whenever you get to a point in your career or your musical life where you feel like uh, something's pulling you in another direction, always let that kind of be your your guiding light, you know, the reason you got into this in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, If your main thing is you just, you really want to express your personal self through improvisation or through composition, that's beautiful. Or if you're Real passion is you just want to be the best trombone player you can possibly be and play anybody's music of any type. You know, whatever it is, that needs to be, you know, always in the distance guiding you. You can go left or right of that, but eventually if you if you veer completely away from that, you'll end up with regrets. And that's anybody that I know that has regrets in their musical life is because they didn't keep a tab on that that one thing that really got them excited about music in the first place. All right. We'll be quoting that. (laughs) Post it on Instagram. (laughs) Do all those things. That was all right. That was great. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here with us. Sure thing. Great to talk to you. And I mean, 
yeah, I know we both met you before, but it was it was good to see you and, and meet you again. And yeah, always oh, great. We'll see you around soon. Take care. All right, guys. <laughs> Thanks. Let me know when this is out. You Thank got you it. So much. Of course. All right. Bye bye. check 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 all right we're good okay um we're good to go all right uh, trying to think of what to say sure yo what's up squad fam <laughs> i'm not gonna say that welcome back to the channel all right so we're we're getting things not to say out of the way <laughs> Uh, okay okay i think i got it all right three what's up team two. 10 oh god <laughs> <laughs> keeping all this in by the way okay <laughs> <laughs> i don't believe you um three two one